Okay, so we're going to go through the Machser sort of in order and um, just point out some st- things as we go along. So, of course, the Machser starts with the Hataras Nadarim, annulling of the vows, which we do on Erev Rosh Hashanah in the morning. And then on page four, we have Prusbal. Now, there is a mitzvah in the Torah that um, on the seventh year, in the sabbatical year, um, that we uh, that that part, one of the mitzvahs of the sabbatical year is that we rest all debts, any debts that a person has, come the seventh year they are annulled. Um, now nowadays the mitzvah of shemitah to annul the debts is only rabbinical. It's not biblical. It doesn't apply biblically nowadays. In the absence of etc. But nevertheless, it does apply rabbinically, and um, in order for people to still, yeah, so if somebody owes you $10 or $1,000 or whatever it is, if the year of Shemitah passes, um, so then you wouldn't be allowed to collect that debt anymore. So the quote workaround is to create a prusbal where you um, give over, you declare that you are conveying um, how do they translate it? Transfer to a Besdin all of your loans. And then once it's been recorded, so to speak, in the files of the Besdin, then the Bez, then then it's already considered something that you are allowed to um, demand the debt after after the year of Shemitah. So back in the day, the way this was done is that you actually went to the local Besdin and you said, so-and-so owes me money and I'm creating a prusbol that I should be able to um, give, transferring the loan to the Besdin. Um, Nowadays, it's most commonly customarily done after the annulling of the vows, where you're sitting in front of a bezdin anyway, and um, so the the the, the, the quote unquote bezdin are annulling your vows. So you say add on the line to transfer all your loans. Now, um, primarily, the, the, the halacha is that the that shmita the, the annulment of debt takes place at the last uh, moment of of shmita. So this coming up Hebrew year is five seven eight two is Shemitah. The annulment of the debts takes place at the end of the 29th of Elul in in a year and two weeks from now. Um, so that's the primary time that we make prusbul is next year. However, it is the Chabad custom at least that we also make a prusbul at the end of this year. We do it this year and next year. Um, I actually did intend to do a class on prusbul before Rosh Hashanah, but that just didn't end up being a spare Sunday to do it. So hopefully sometime after Yom Tif, we'll do a class on Prisbal and then we'll explain the different uh, opinions. But anyway, that's what you have on the top of page four. Then we have Erev Tafshilin, which is not relevant this year. Um, okay, now moving on to the evening prayers. What page of the evening prayers? No, it's going to for Rosh Hashanah nights. Twenty. Oh, that's the Shabbos. We have Mincha for Rosh Hashanah, starting on page nine. And then, uh, Dan, would you press me, Max, please? It's easier to turn the pages there. Twenty-eight. Yeah. So we want page twenty-eight exactly.
So we start the Chabad custom is, as we discussed um, last class, that the Chabad custom is that we start with Shir Hamarlos when it, when it doesn't fall on Shabbos in order to be able to say Kaddish immediately juxtaposed to the Baruchu, which is at the top of page um, 29. And then it's the standard um, evening service for the for Shabbos Yom Tov, where we say the Shema preceded and by two brachas and followed by two brachas, and then we go to the Amida for evening service, which is on page thirty-three. Okay, so the Amida, of course, cons- constitutes of the first. Um, I should mention that uh, it's brought in Shulchan Aruch that for all the Kadeshin throughout the 10 days from the beginning of Rosh Hashanah until after Yom Kippur, which substitute Le'ela Mikal Berchasa V'Shirasa to Le'ela Le'ela Mikal Berchasa V'Shirasa. But um, the Chabad custom is that we only do that during the Kadeshim of Ni'ila, the closing service of Yom Kippur. Um, everything is precise, the amount of wording of words that are in Kaddish. And so usually it's Le'ela Min Kal Berchasa, beyond all blessings. The literal translation is beyond of all the blessings. But because there's a certain amount of words, when you add in le'ela, le'ela, an extra le'ela, um, so then you have an extra word. So we take off a word by instead of saying min kol birchasa, we sort of shrink that into, now you could make a tiny arrow, yeah, you can make a long link into a short link. So we do min kol birchasa changes into mi kol birchasa, which is the same meaning, it's just one less word. Okay, then we have the regular, um, so, so during the first three brachas, there are the insertion, ins, inserts, which we're going to now say consistently throughout the next 10 days. In the first bracha, it's Zachreinu L'chaim, remember us for life, which is, this is on page, um, look at the page, top of page 34, um, remember us for life. Now you'll notice that at the, in, in the inserts towards the end of that meter there, when we talk about life, we say chayim toivim, good life. And here we're just, we just saying plain life. And uh, this is in line with the general approach in, in, in all types of prayer that we always start off by asking for the basic, and then we advance into asking for something even more. So we start off just by asking for life. And then as we advance, we say we're asking for good life. Now, when the chazan gets, because obviously there's no repetition during the evening prayer, but um, throughout the 10 days, when the chazan gets to these inserts, so there's different customs. The Chabad custom is that for the first two, which are here in the first blessing and the second blessing, the chazan just says it by himself. And when it gets to the last two, which are in the last and in the penultimate blessing, then he pauses and the entire congregation says it. Or of a Sefer Chaim, and uh, we'll point them out as we get there, and, and 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 then everybody says them together, and then followed by the chazan. Others have the custom that all of them, the congregation says before the chazan, and of course, every shul does with it, with it, each custom. Now, when it comes to the third blessing of the Amida, which is Atta Kaddish, so again, lower down here on page thirty-four. Um, so the primary difference in this bracha that we're going to say on Rosh Hashanah and throughout the ten days is that instead of saying Hakel Hakadosh. We say the holy God, we say Hamalach HaKadosh, the holy king. And if somebody forgot to say Hamalach HaKadosh, then if he remembered immediately within the time that it says to takes to say Shalom Allah Rabbi, so perhaps within a second or two, if you remembered, then provided that you have not yet said the first word of the next blessing, um, you're okay. And you just quickly correct yourself. But if you've either waited more than a second or two, or 
you have said the first word of the next blessing, then you have to scratch that and go to the beginning of the Amido all over again. Now, in addition to that change, that changes throughout the 10 days, but just on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we add in a whole number of paragraphs into that, into that bracha. So that's what starts off over here with in the Hebrew with the words um, and in the English it starts with it's the third to last paragraph on page 34 through all generations. So that is an extra sort of addition to the text of the third bracha which starts over there and carries all the way through to page 35 um, with a paragraph beginning Kaddish Atta or in the English it's holy are you awesome is your name. And um, that, and then we finish off Baruch Atah Hashem Hamelach Hakadosh. We, we may have mentioned a few weeks ago when we, just, we reviewed the Rambam that the Rambam says that this addition to the third bracha is said at all the prayers throughout the ten days. That's not the practice today. The practice today that I'm aware of across all communities. I mean, maybe there's some exception, but across all communities, Ashkenazim, Sfaradim, Chassidim, is that these, this extended third blessing is reserved only for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay, now on Rosh Hashanah, um, so there's technically there's two things going on. It's um, it's Rosh Hashanah, it's the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. In addition to that, it's also Rosh Chodesh, right? It's the first of the Hebrew month. But yet you'll notice that nowhere in the Machzer do we explicitly mention Rosh Chodesh. And this comes up a number of times. The first time it's obvious is, um, uh, for example, um, here on page 36. Uh, perhaps it would be more, you wouldn't necessarily say it in my riff anyway, but uh, uh, either way, the point is that whenever one of the ways we refer to Rosh Hashanah on page 36 for the first time is that Hashem has given us this Yom Hazikoron, yeah, to the second paragraph of page 36, this day of remembrance. And even though the day of remembrance primarily, of course, refers to Rosh Hashanah, but Yom HaZikorin also refers to the day of Rosh Chodesh, as in the verse in Parshas Bahaloischa in Sefer Bamidba Numbers chapter 10, verse 10, where it says that on the days of Yom Simchascham, of Mayadechem, of Rosh Chodeshem, on your days of holiday, including Rosh Chodesh, when it's Karatim, the Hashem, and the Kechem, that you are remembered in front of Hashem, your God. So the Yom HaZikorin, the day of remembrance, even though primarily Yom HaZikorin refers to Rosh Hashanah, it is also constitutes at least an allusion to, um, not an illusion, an allusion to Rosh Chodesh. And so therefore that suffices for mentioning Rosh Chodesh. Why don't we want to say, mention Rosh Chodesh explicitly? So the Alter Rebbe actually doesn't mention that here, but later on, the Alter Rebbe gives two or three reasons why we don't want to mention explicitly. This can be found in Simon Tov Kuf Tzadik Aleph Sivov, and um, where the Alter Rebbe says like this. Um, there it's talking about Musaf, which we'll get to. But he says, um, there's two reasons why we don't want to mention Reish Chodesh on... Uh-huh. Yeah. Two, two reasons why we don't want to mention Rosh Chodesh explicitly. Number one is because we have to have the uni- a uniform davening on both days of Rosh Hashanah. We can't have w- w- davening for day two of Rosh Hashanah be different than davening of day one, because we want people to take the day two seriously. And if we change the text for day two, then people will say, oh, so we know it says in the Torah Rosh Hashanah is on the first day of the seventh month, and this day, day two is an addition, which is 
not the same as two days Yom Tov for all the other holidays. Rosh, the day two for Rosh Hashanah is different than all holidays. That's why it applies. In Israel, there's also two days of Rosh Hashanah. It's a little bit, I don't think we have time to explain why, but if you want to read about it, the Alter Rebbe explains it in great detail in chapter 600 of Shulchan Aruch. So you can go on Chabad.org slash Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch and read chapter 600. It explains it in great length. But the bottom line is, the second day of the month, which is the second day of Rosh Hashanah, so we can't change the text because then people would say it wouldn't take the second day of Rosh Hashanah seriously. So if we were to, but, but we can't, so therefore we don't mention Rosh Hashanah explicitly on the first day so that we don't have to mention it explicitly on the second day because if we were to mention it on the second day explicitly, then people would say, oh, so the second day is the first of the month. So then they would keep Yom Kippur on day 11 instead of day 10. So in order to avoid any confusion, we avoid mentioning Rish Chodesh explicitly, and therefore we just allude to it by saying this day of remembrance. And also in Musaf, as we'll get to, there's other way, other means of alluding to Rish Chodesh. Alternatively, or additionally, the Alter Rebbe says that it is, as is many other customs of Rosh Hashanah, to confuse the Satan. We don't mention explicitly that the day is Rish Chodesh. Um, that confuses the Satan, so to speak, and um, he will neglect to bring all his accusatory um, remarks to the heavenly court. Yeah, so... Uh, exactly. Yeah, so we, we've discussed in the past a bit what, what does it mean, Bechlal, to confuse the Satan. Um, yeah, obviously it doesn't mean it on a literal level. Um, one way of understanding it is that uh, it reminds us that the Satan needs to be confused, so it reminds us to shape up. Anyway, that, that, that's what it says. Okay. Um... Right, let's move on. Okay, I'm towards the top of page 38. You have the next insert, which there you'll notice that we're already saying Lachayim Toivim. Inscribe all the children in your account for a good life. Then we add Lachayim Toivim. And there again, not in the evening, because in the evening there's no... Uh, there's no repetition, but for that insert throughout the 10 days, um, we or the, the entire congregation says it together, followed by the chazan, and then the final insert of a Sefer Chaim uh, over here, um, and then the Book of Life blessing it towards sort of the middle of page 38. And then, of course, the next change, which is Isa HaShalom instead of Isa Shalom at the end of the meeting. Okay, then on page 40, we have Ludovid Mizmer. Um, which is Psalm 24, and it's brought that um, saying this psalm, we say it on both nights of Rosh Hashanah and also on Yom Kippur, and it's brought that saying this psalm with um, special attention and devotion is uh, a bracha for parnasa, for good uh, livelihood um, throughout the year, presumably because it starts by the declaration that everything in the world belongs to God, um, and that's something that we say and try to say slowly and with um, proper attention um, after the evening service on Rosh Hashanah night. Of course, then the Sahih Chulu when it falls on Shabbos. Um, and we do not say Avinu Malkeno in the evening service. Avinu Malkeno starts the next day. Um, certainly, according to Chabad customs, possibly that some do say it. I'm not entirely sure about that. And then we have the declaration that we wish to each other 
that may you be inscribed and written for a good year. Um, that's on page 44. Um, right, in English it's the same. Of course, in Hebrew, um, there's a different, slightly different text for um, male and female, and also, of course, for an individual or for a uh, plural, just because of the grammar of Hebrew that is different uh, feminine and masculine forms and singular and um, plural versus in English where it's just you, may you be inscribed. Now the Alter Rebbe says in Zohar that you don't wish people to be in, written, in, written for a good year after midday on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Because that the inscription has already happened and we don't wish it anymore. But nevertheless, the practice is that this sort of precise text that you say, is only said on the first night, not on the second night, which of course, of course is still before midday on the second day, but nevertheless, we only say that on the first night. Okay, of course, we don't say that this year. Um, and then Kiddush. Okay, at the end of Kiddush, you have Shechayonu, which we say Shechayonu on every Yom Tif. Um, this is on page, where are we? Page 47. Um, you'll notice something interesting they've done in the English. It's page 46 and 47. What they've done in the English in the annotated edition is that it, usually it's the right side of the page is Hebrew and the left is English. But here they've put the entire Hebrew on across one spread and the entire English across the next spread so that you shouldn't have to turn the page in the middle of Kiddush. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, although... I must say that uh, just like you know, everybody li- loves having wine stains all over their hakada, that's what makes the, you know, so I don't know, maybe people are not so into having wine stains on the machser. <laughs> all right. Now, um, every time when there's a yamtif and we say shechiyano, so in the diaspora, there's two days yamtif, we say shechiyano on both days. With regards to uh, Rosh Hashanah, because as we just mentioned, the two days of Rosh Hashanah are not the same construct as they are. It's not the same mechanism, so to speak, or history as they are on the other two days of Yom Tif, of the other, you know, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, where we have two days. So there is some discussion as to whether or not there should be a Shechayonu on the second day. That discussion is both for Kiddush on the second night, as well as for Shofar on the second day. Now, the primary halacha is that we do. We do say Shechayonu on the second night of Rosh Hashanah, and we do say Shechayonu during blowing the Shofar of the second day. Nevertheless, um, it is customary to also have something else, sort of a just-in-case thing, that um, we said that Shechina should go on that. Now, for most people, it's not relevant for the shofar because it's only the person who's saying the bracha on the shofar. So the Baltikeya, before he blows the shofar, will put on a new handkerchief or something. Now, even though a handkerchief is not something that you would say Shechina on, you only say Shechina on a prominent garment, a new suit or something like that. But nevertheless, because essentially, really, you are, you can just say Shechion on the shofar, but just sort of what's called L'Ravch of the Milsa, we add in another another reason to say Shechion, so, you know, put in a handkerchief. So the same is for the second night of Rosh Hashanah, that uh, everybody says Kiddush and says Shechion, so we have a new fruit on the table. Now, we've discussed in the past the exact definition of a new fruit, and that sometimes in many countries, Western countries, it's, it's difficult to find a new fruit that actually, strictly speaking, warrants a Shechion. But nevertheless, with the second, with the new fruit of Rosh Hashanah, it, you don't have to be that strict. In other words, even if it's a fruit where you're not entirely sure, yeah, hopefully maybe it's a Shachiyono, it's not 100% clear, it doesn't really matter because, again, the primary, the halacha is that you can make Shachiyono on the second night, even in absence of a new fruit. It's just, um, as they say, to make it better. Okay. Let's move on to...
you talk about a new brew. What about a fish head? Is, uh, is that a symbol? Oh, so very good. So, so, so there's the, the symbolism. Rosh Hashanah symbolism is very important. Um, so maybe we'll talk about it. We gave a, we did a whole class on Tashlik a few years ago. I have the recording on it. But, um, but, but everything on Rosh Hashanah is very, very into symbolisms, much more so than we are the rest of the year. And so it's brought that there's numerous things, simonim, they're called simonim things that we eat on Rosh Hashanah. Um, of all the ones brought in Shulchan Aruch, in Chabad, we, we don't go so strong at them. There's only a few of them that it's customary to do in Chabad. One is the head of an animal. It's brought that idea that it should be the head of a ram, um, because the ram also produces the shofar, which is connected to the binding of Isaac. Um, it doesn't mean you have to have a whole head of a ram on the table. You could just have a piece of meat that comes from the head. You could have a piece of tongue. Um, practically speaking, at least in America, it's not so easy to find the piece of head meat of a ram that's kosher. And so it's customary to do use the head of a fish. And nowadays we're very spoiled. You could just go to Jewel and buy a vacuum-packed smoked head of whatever. Um, you don't have to eat the... They sell heads too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to eat the whole thing. You just eat a small piece. Some tzaddikim had a minhag to eat the eye of the fish. Some people don't eat it at all. They just have it on the table. Um, it's also, we have pomegranates, which is just like there's many seeds in the pomegranate. So we should have many merits, many mitzvahs. And also we eat carrots. Um, because carrots, uh, tzimus, yeah, tzimus is a, is a traditional Rosh Hashanah food because, uh, first of all, carrots are sweet. And also, um, um, uh, in Yiddish, car carrots are merit, which means many, which means many, many mitzvahs, many merits. And finally, the apple dipped in honey, which is the only one of all of them that in Chabad we say, uh, sort of a text that uh, we dip it in the honey and we say yeah that's at the bottom of page 46 or 47 in the english that we should have a sweet new year um others have similar yehirotsins that they say before many of the other simon and they eat, uh, uh, dates and, and other things karasi for some reason i'm not sure why it's not customary in chabad to do all of them perhaps it's simply because back in russia those other food items were not available uh, year-round or Rosh Hashanah time, whatever it is. But in practice, that's the Chabad custom. Others have other customs, and everybody will do their custom. Um, you can find a ram head, but it's kosher, but it's not Lubavitch, so to speak. Can you put it on your Rosh Hashanah table? <laughs> I, I, I hope that was a joke. No, question. <laughs> Not really, because I've asked this before, and I've heard, like, yeah, well, Misa, you shouldn't even cook it in your oven or whatever. Like, I'm on record. I'm not going to say what I really think about that. Um, <laughs> of course, if something's kosher, you can have it on your table. I don't understand the question. Um, um, yeah, okay. It's the symbolism. You should only eat something. You should only eat something or put something in, in your oven that's a good shechita. Um... I've never heard of anybody who's actually makbid to only have certain shechitas in the oven, although that would make sense. I mean, everybody goes to restaurants and eats whatever the, you, know, you, you ask for this shechita. No restaurant is keeping a separate pot or oven for a certain company of, of shechita. And, and yes, if you're just having it on your table, then you have to be less careful than you are if you're going to eat it. If anything that's kosher could go on your table, I guess. Anyway. Um, okay, moving on. Okay, we bench. Now, there is actually an opinion that uh, allows or even encourages fasting on Rosh Hashanah. Um, we don't 
do that. But the practical relevance of that opinion is that if somebody forgets to say Yalaviyov in the benching of Rosh Hashanah, he does not need to repeat the benching um, because the, because any anytime you forget Yalaviyov in a day that it's not obligatory to wash, so then you don't have to repeat the benching. So for example, on Rish Khadesh, if you forget Yalaviyov, you don't repeat the benching. Um, so on Rosh Hashanah also, if you forget Yalaviyov, you don't re- um, repeat the benching. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure if that applies to the night or just to the day. Um, let me just check that out quickly. Um, Yeah, the, the, uh, the only the daytime meal. It's actually printed at the bottom of page fifty-one in the shaded box. It says explicitly that on the daytime meal of Rosh Hashanah, if you forget Yalav Yovi, you don't need to repeat benching because um, because and the reason doesn't say that here, but the reason is because some hold you have to fast. Whereas even those who say you fast on Rosh Hashanah, you only fast during the day, not during the nighttime, and therefore on the nighttime, like any other yomtiv, if there's an obligation to eat, and therefore you would repeat benching. If you forgot to say Yahweh. And then, of course, on page um, on page 53, in addition to the regular harachamon that we add in every umtif, there's an additional harachamon that we add for Rosh Hashanah that Hashem should um, give us a sweet new year. All right. Now moving on to the morning. Get married. People could get married in the week before oh, right. Rosh Hashanah and have Shavu Brachos on Rosh Hashanah. It's customary not to get married during the ten days of repentance, although, strictly speaking, I believe it is permissible. Okay, let's go to page one hundred, and I'm going to do a lucky guess that on my PDF it's going to be two hundred. Yeah, almost because it's just one for the Actually, let's go back a second to page ninety-nine. So that's where we have. The Hamelech, where um, obviously we start with the Rosh Hashanah tune and the Chazan starts over there, and there's the famous story brought um, about the Baron Hagadol, the Baron of Karlin, who fell into a faint when he said Hamelech um, on Rosh Hashanah, uh, remembering the, the Gemara, where Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakkai, in a very dangerous and risky, in a very risky way, uh, left Yerushalayim. You know, he pretend, they pretended that he had passed, and he went out and met Hispasianus uh, Caesar. The, 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 well, he wasn't yet the, the, the emperor; he was just a general. And he said, you know, well, he greeted him as a king, and Hispasianus said to him, you know, you are. You're liable to death on two accounts. Number one, I'm not the king, so it's treason for you to call me the king. And number two, if I am the king, then where were you until now? Um, and anyway, the Gemara continues the story, but uh, the story that is printed here in the Mahsa that Abarn Kalin, uh, remember this Gemara, you know, we're coming to Rosh Hashanah and saying Hashem is the king. You know, if Hashem is the king, where were you until now? Okay. Page 100, we have um, the, an extra insert, which is going to be for the next 10 days that we add in Psalm 130. Um, after after Yishtabach, before um, before the, the blessings of the Shema, if one forgets this, that you don't go back, you don't repeat it. It's just um, yeah, it's just there. You say it there again throughout the, the whole week. Okay. Then you have the Shachros Amida, which is pretty much the same as Myriv. 
And then on page 115, you have the repetition of the Amida. Okay, so the repetition of the Amida starts on page 115, and um, in Chabad custom, this is the only time of the year when in the repetition is not just repeating the Amida, but actually adding in what's called piyutim, um, other supplications and prayers into the Amida. And so the Chazan starts off after saying the first paragraph with which is basically, um, even though, because even though you're not really allowed to interrupt the middle of the Amida, so what's, what's the middle of the Amida, you're saying all these extra prayers. So he starts off with sort of declaring that actually saying these piyutim um, during the repetition of the Amida on Rosh Hashanah is sanctioned by the earlier sages. That's what that paragraph alludes to. And then there's an introductory paragraph, which the Chazim says, talking about his, you know, being all, the, the awesome responsibility of representing the community. Um, and, the, and the way it's split in this master is that you have it, um, they've done the repetition for day one, followed by the repetition of day two, because the piyutim are different. Um, we're not going to go through all the piyutim. Now we've mentioned in the past um, a number of times, the, the 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 beauty and the sophistication of uh, many of the of, of these poetic pieces, and it's at the same time the the challenge that there is in translating them and in conveying the beauty and the poetry um, in, in, into English. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to so many of the things. A lot of the a lot of the poetry is borrowing biblical phrases or, or phrases of or phrases of Chazal from the Midrashim and the Gemaras. So uh, the translation is the translation. Um, obviously, the words in Hebrew are difficult to understand. It's not the same even for people who are familiar with Hebrew. Understanding the Piyotim can be very, uh, can, can be difficult. Um, but it becomes even more challenging um, when you're translating it into English, where it's this complicated language and you get the translation without the, the, the sort of the, without the poetry of it. Um, I was actually in touch recently with somebody in, in, uh, in New Jersey, I think, who's um, one of the big experts on, on Piot. Um, and I asked him specifically if he has any tips for me on how to convey uh, the beauty of the Piotim to uh, people who daven in English. And uh, he didn't really get back to me with anything specific, although he did reference to me a specific book, which I have ordered but has not yet arrived. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll see, maybe for next year we'll be able to do a class um, on Piot. Is a lot of the divining? So it, it depends on which style of Piot. In the Piot that we, that the, the Ashkenaz, including Kabbat, do, um, the, there is some rhyming. It's not all rhyming. A lot of it is, a lot of, some of it is rhyming. I mean, if you look on page, for example, uh, on page 124, yeah? Um, so that starts with, right? So we have this phrase, which isn't actually an exact pasuk, 
it's uh, a combination of psukim. Hashem, Hashem is the king, Hashem was the king, Hashem will be the king forever. And then, Hashem Allah, Hashem Allah, Hashem Yimlech, we're all familiar with that. We say that numerous times throughout every day, we say it. And then we have this elaborate description of all the angels and the, the Jewish people who, 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 who say this. Hashem So we have one phrase Hashem, they, that they say bekoil in a voice, and every there is sort of this. I don't know if it's rhyming, but there's every single line ends with the word bekoil with a loud voice, yeah, aloud. Hashem Melech. And the next one is Hashem Malach. And the next one is Hashem Yimlech. Right. So there is that poetry, and also a lot of the poetry is in the order of the Aleph base. Um, if you look, if you look at this piot starting from look at page one twenty four on the Hebrew side, you'll see. It goes in order. Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalet, Hei, Vav, Zayin, Ches, Tes, Yud, Kaf, Lamin, Mem, Nun, Samach, Sin, okay? Ayin, Pei, Sadik, Kuf, Reishin, and then a number of Tufs, right? So a lot of the Piyutim are following the structure of the Hebrew alphabet. A lot of them are spelling out different words or the name of the author in the alphabet and things like that, which that is obviously lost in the, in the translation because it's not, uh, you know, um, it's much more complicated than that. It's also about the amount of the amount of syllables in each line and in each part of the line. I mean, piot used to be, piot, is, piot means the poetry of, of the liturgy, slichas, kinnas for Tishabov, the piotim of Roshanim Kippur, the piotim for, again, in Chabad, we only say it on Roshanim Kippur, but in other communities, they say it in every Yom Tif, they say it on the four parshias, you know, the two before and after Purim, et cetera, et cetera. Piot used to be a, a big study, which for the most part has, has been neglected today. Very few people are into it, but there were there was Sfarim written, there were people who devoted their, their lives to, to learning and uncovering the all the all the, all the hidden you know, messages and stuff in the Piyotim. Anyway, um, okay, then you have the repetition for the second day, and let's move to page 152. So page 152 is Avinu Malkeinu. Um, a few things to mention about Avinu Malkeinu. Um, okay, so of course we don't say it on Shabbos or Friday afternoon, that doesn't apply this year. Um, many communities have the custom to say a number of them in the middle in unison, sort of in, but led by the Chazan, that's not the Chabad practice. Um, the Chabad practice is that there are a number of the Avinu Malkeinus which mention sin, you know, we have sinned, we repent, so we omit all of those on Rosh Hashanah, and we only say them during the rest of the 10 days and on Yom Kippur. So in the old master, it used to, you know, I had it there and said on Rosh Hashanah, you don't say it, and the annotated sinner, they just took those out. Um, one halacha that's brought in Shulchan Aruch is that the second to last of Yom Kippur, that's on page 152, translates as, rend the evil aspect of the verdict decreed against us. But in the Hebrew, if you look at the Hebrew side of it, so there there's an important um, reference, and that is that you have to say Roya Gezar in one without a pause. Because, just a second, let's see what it is. Yeah, because here goes, Abinu Malkeinu, our father, our king, Kira, tear up, rend, Roya the bad, Gezar Dineinu of our decree. Now, if you were to say, if you, the correct way to say it is kara, roya gzardineinu. But if you 
breathe in between Roya and Gezar, it could sound as if you were saying, God forbid, Kara Roya, comma, and addressing God, God forbid, as being Roa, which means the evil. So therefore, you have to be careful if you're saying in the Hebrew to say, Kara Roya Gezar Dinenu. Kara, comma, Roya Gezar Dinenu. Yes, that's just one halacha in reference to Avinu Malkeinu, that's more than Shechon Aruch. And the reason we don't say it on Shabbos or even on Friday afternoon is because we don't ask the Hashem for our needs on, on Shabbos. Now, it's complicated halacha. We obviously do on many occasions, and certainly when Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos. But nevertheless, we omit Avinu Malkeinu when Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos. Okay, then we come to the, okay, we say the song of the day, followed by Psalm 27 and David Eri. And then comes the reading of the Torah. Uh, before we take out the Torah, at the bottom of page 160, we recite three times the 13, principle, the 13 uh, uh, attributes of mercy. And then there's a special prayer for Rosh Hashanah. Okay, and then we have the reading of the Torah. The reading of the Torah on the first day is that Hashem is the, the birth of Isaac because Sarah was Nifkada. Sarah was remembered on Rosh Hashanah, which basically... Pashtus means that Yitzchak was conceived on Rosh Hashanah, right? The, 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 the normal understanding is that Yitzchak was born on Pesach and that he was conceived on Rosh Hashanah. Um, and then on the second day, we read the binding, the binding of Isaac, which is also to, what does Altadam say? Why do we read that? Just a second. Yeah, just to remember the binding of Isaac, which is a very, uh, which is a central theme to the Rosh Hashanah prayers, um, and then the Haftorah, and then the Haftorah. Moving on to page one sixty, of course, the Maftir, which is the reading of the second Torah on page one sixty nine, is the carbon Musaf, the extra sacrifices that were brought in the temple on Rosh Hashanah, which that's the same for both days. And then on page 170, on the first day, we have the Haftarah of, 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 of Chana, which is the prayer of Chana and, um, and uh, the birth of Shmuel Hanavi, which um, the, re- the reason we say that Haftarah on the first day of Rosh Hashanah is because it's brought that Chana was also Nifkad on Rosh Hashanah. She was also remembered she was, that, that Shmuel was conceived on Rosh Hashanah. In addition, it, the Alter Rebbe doesn't bring this in Shulchan Aruch, but the Rebbe often quoted this, I believe, B'Shem Neshallah, that not only did Chana, what did she conceive on Rosh Hashanah, but that she that her her prayer took place on Rosh Hashanah as well. I don't know how the sort of the history works. If that means that she was conceived on that very day that she prayed, or if it was on the next year on Rosh Hashanah, um, it seems it's mashmash. If I recall correctly, I'm just thinking of this right now. Um, Yeah, the, 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 the simple implication of the pasuk is that it happened as soon as they got back home. Uh, it, it, if you say that she could, her prayer was in Rosh Hashanah and she was conceived in Rosh Hashanah, then l'chayru, you would have to say that there was a year in between. I'm not sure exactly how that works. If anybody has any uh, further information on that, please let us know. And then the haftarah of the second day of Rosh Hashanah is because it mentions about how Hashem remembers the Jewish people, which is also very much in the theme of Rosh Hashanah, Zichroinus, the day of remembrance, and as we see soon, the blessings of Musaf, um, that um, are one of the blessings is the prayer of Zichroinus. Moving on to page 175. 
we have the blowing of the shofar. Now, I should mention that it's brought in Shulchan Aruch that on Rosh Hashanah, if, if you're not with the minion, if you're davening, I think this year, this might be the reality for many people, um, but if for whatever reason you're not davening with the minion, then you should not say, blow, you should not do the blowing of the shofar or the prayer of Musaf before three hours into the day. Three hours into the day is the time that it says on the calendar for the last last time for reading of the Shema. So you should not do Musaf or sounding of the shofar before that time without a minion. If you're with a minion, then it's fine. The reason is because in the first three three days, three hours of the day, there's sort of, it's more, uh, so to speak, whatever this means, more judgmental. And um, therefore you don't want to, um, Yeah, Hashem is more Sorry? That's a question. Yeah, sure. Just one, just one moment. Yeah, we do Hashem does more beyond the letter of the law after three hours into the day. And so for the, when you're davening with the minion and you have the power of the community, then you don't need to be careful about this. If you're not with the minion, then you don't sound the shofar or daven musaf before three hours into the day, which again, that's time for Shema, yeah? You're not davening with the minion. Um... Were you diving together with a minion, or do you recite any of the piyotim of Rosh Hashanah? Yeah, you can say the piyotim that is part of the Amida. After the Amida, you can say whichever piyotim you want. I mean, so do you why say not? It? Yeah, why not? I mean, the Ilah maybe not, if you have the Yudimu Midas, you don't say with the minion, but I don't see why not. Why not? What is required of a minion actually that is, is to sounding of the shofar. We'll get to this soon, but uh, our custom is that we sound the shofar during Musaf, both during the silent Amida and during the repetition. During the silent Amida, there's no repetition without a minion, but even during the silent minion, it's only permissible to interrupt the Amida to sound the shofar if you have a minion. Without a minion, you can't blow the shofar in the, in the silent Amida. Okay, now on page 170, so we start off preparing for the, for the shofar blowing, we say some uh, 47 seven times. And then um, we have the sounding of the shofar. Um, so here what we have is 30 sounds. Now, this is the primary mitzvah that you need to do to hear, to, to fulfill the mitzvah of shofar, is to hear, hear these 30 sounds. Um, many have probably heard of a custom to hear 100 sounds, which is true. 100 sounds is only if you're doing it as part of uh, the prayer. If you're not doing it as part of prayer, you're just sounding the shofar, you don't do 100 sounds, you just do the 30. And the reason for the 30 is, uh, essentially, that okay. So essentially, uh, very briefly, we've discussed this in the past many times, but essentially, that uh, the, the mitzvah is that there should be nine, meaning a teruah preceded by a tekiah, followed by a tekiah, three times. So tekiah, teruah, tekiah, three times. Three times three equals nine. However, there is, in the words of the Rambam, throughout the generations, a suffix, a doubt developed as to what exactly is a teruah. Is it what we call a teruah? Or is it what we call a shavarim, which is the more drawn out one? Or is it a combination of both shavarim and teruah? And therefore, to fulfill all the opinions we do, not opinions, to fulfill all the side, all the po possibilities, um, we do all of them, So, which is, um, right? So nine times three is 27, but it's 30 because one of the possibilities is that's a combination of shavarim and teruah, which we count as two. So that's why if you look on this page right over here, the bottom of page uh, 176, You'll see that you know tkiya shvarim through tkiya. If you count it, you'll see it's thirty. Um, okay. Then 
we go on to the Amida. Now, that's the requirement to fulfill the mitzvah, is that page, yes. Now, in addition to sounding the shofar before Musaf, it's also instituted to sound the shofar um, in connection to the blessings of Musaf, which again, the Chabad custom is that we do that both for the silent Amida and for the um, repetition. Um, general Numin Hagashkenaz is to only do that during the repetition. And therefore, it is customary, it is recommended that one not talk at all from at this point in the, until all the very end of the shofar blowing at the end of Musaf, so that the blessing should be able to pertain to the rest of the of the, of the of the sounds of the shofar as well. Obviously, words of prayer don't constitute an interruption in this regard, um, but no other words of, uh, if possible, there shouldn't be any other words. Yes. Is it required to have shofar both days? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Like we mentioned before, it's, it's in fact it's it's it's, it's uh, extra important not to make any difference between the first day and the second day. That means you're going out on the corners. Yeah, you know, it says on the lawn signs both days. I didn't read a lawn sign. Yet. Didn't read the lawn signs. All right. I didn't see a lawn sign. Yet. Didn't see the lawn signs. Well, They've been up for a few days already. Wow, I haven't left my house except last night. Yeah. Well, it was dark out. Yeah. All right. Uh, Okay, Musaf. Okay, so a number of things of Musaf. Now, the regular Musaf means the reason the, reason the prayer is called, called Musaf is because um, we it, it's corresponding to the sacrifice, the Musaf Karbonis, that were brought in the base of Mikdash. And, um, and, um, and so we have an Amida prayer, during which we mention the sacrifices that are brought in the base of Mikdash on that day. And we usually quote the Pesukim, the verses which prescribe uh, the Musaf. Now, if you look on page uh, 183. Okay, so you'll notice here a few things. Let's look at it in English. I think that'll be easier. Okay, over here we say, yeah, Hashem should bring us back to Yishalayim. And there we will offer to you our obligatory sacrifices, which are the daily burnt offerings according to their order, and the Musaf offerings in the plural, right? Um, moving on, right? Now, why do we say Musaf offerings in the plural? Because there are two Musaf offerings in Rosh Hashanah. There is the Musaf for Rosh Hashanah and the Musaf for Rosh Chodesh. We don't mention Rosh Chodesh explicitly, as we mentioned before, but we allude to it by saying Musafei, the Musaf offerings in the plural. Another, another couple of allusions come out later in this page. First of all, we say... Don't we say Mubadli, Dush, Dush? 
Yeah, um, in this paragraph here, we, we, we quote, again, quote, kind of quoting a paraphrase in the biblical verse, you say here, aside from the Rish Chodesh burnt offering and its meal offering. So there it's kind of explicit, but again, it's sort of, we're talking that we do the Rosh Hashanah offering in addition to that one, but we don't sort of elaborate. As we usually write in a regular Rish Chodesh, we, we, we quote the verses that the Pasuk says, the verses to do on Rish Chodesh, the, the Musaf to do on Rish Chodesh. We don't quote those verses in the Rosh Hashanah text. Um, and one more reference to the Rish Chodesh offering on this page is that the Musaf offering of Rosh Hashanah is comprised of one par, one ayel, so one cow, one ram, and seven kvasim, seven sheep. And those were all burnt offerings. And then Seir, a goat, which was a sin offering. Rish Chodesh was uh, pretty much pretty much the same after the thing. I'm talking about, I'm sure it was pretty much the same, same, um, the same uh, recipe, so to speak. Now, in the verses that we quote, we don't talk about the ram. We just talk about the other parts, right? If you look here, um, it says, she'll bring the burnt offering. One young um, cow, yeah, one ram, and seven lambs doesn't mention the goat. The goat is mentioned in the next paragraph when we say that in addition to the goat, and when we talk about the goats on Rosh Hashanah, we don't talk about a goat, we talk about two goats. What's the second goat? The second goat is the goat from the Rosh Chodesh Musaf offering. Again, we don't mention it explicitly, but that's where it is. Let me just find it here in a second. Here it is, as well as two he goats for atonement, yeah, in the last paragraph on page 183. Now, then comes Malchios, Zichronos, and Shefros, which are three blessings. So usually the Musaf, usually, usually the Musaf prayer is, um, usually the Musaf prayer is seven blessings. We have the first three blessings of every Amida, the last three blessings of every Amida, and the one middle blessing which is in which we talk about the nature of the day and the Muslim offerings for those for, for that day. Um, on Rosh Hashanah, it's nine blessings because we add in Malchios, Zechronos, and Shofis, the blessing for Malchios, which is about Hashem's kingship, Zechronos, Day of Remembrance, and Hashem remembers us through us sounding the Shofar, so we have a third blessing for Shofar. And basically, now, the first blessing, Zichronos, is combined with the blessing in which we mentioned Musaf, so the, the carbon Musaf, the, the sacrifices. So we start off, the, the, that means it's the fourth blessing of Amida, the first of the middle blessings. We start off right here where we talk about the offering, and then we move on to, we start off actually by saying Aleinu, we move on to saying the blessing of Zichronos, Remembrances, and basically the, the, the bulk of the blessing the most important part of the blessing is mentioning 10 verses from scripture, which talk about, remember, uh, sorry, the first one is Malchus, Hashem's kingship. So we start off with three from the Torah, followed by three from the Kusuvim, the, 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 the second, uh, the, 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 how do you call it, the writings, followed by three from the prophets, and followed by a final one from the Torah, which all have the word Melech. Yeah, you'll see all the Pesachim we have the word Melech. The final one that we mentioned from the Torah actually doesn't have the word Melech, but it's Shema Yisrael Adonai Lehinu Adonai Echad, which is the same theme as Hashem being king. And then we finish that blessing and sound the shofar. Again, there are different customs as to which shofar sounds are done at this point in the Amidah, 
the, the, the reason for the different... Uh, anyway, in practice, the Chabad custom is, as you see here, to do all 10 sounds after each of those three blessings. Um, some, I believe the common Nusach Ashkenaz is different, um, and it's based on a number of different considerations. Um, one consideration is the opinion of Rav Haigoyen, which the pastors, it would seem we don't pass him like Rav Haigoyen, but we rely, many rely on him for this, and that he says that it's not actually a doubt as to which of the three options of Trua is the real deal. Really, they're all good. Whichever way you do, whether you do Trua, whether you do Shvarim, whether you do Shvarim Trua, it's all good. But we didn't want it to look like a machle. We just wanted to create something uniform. And so we just do all of them. And, you know, that's it. Instead of one community doing this, and one community doing that. Okay, everybody just do everything and play nicely. So according to that opinion, when it comes to Musaf, okay, so you've already done the main blowing of the show. So you're just doing it again to do it in conjunction with the blessings. So you don't need to bother doing all the different options at this point. You could just do whichever one fits. Anyway. There's different customs. Again, the Chabad custom is that after each of the blessings, both in the silent Amida and in the repetition of the Amida, we do one round of each, so it's a total of 10 sounds, right? So the way, in the, again, we, there's the 100 sounds, but uh, the way the Chabad gets to the 100 sounds is we have 30 before Musaf, and then three sets of 10 during the silent Amida, so that's 60, three sets of 10 during the repetition, that's 90, and then 10 during the middle of the Kaddish after the repetition of Musaf, so that's 100. Um, those who don't sound the shofar or, or who do different counts of the shofar blowing throughout Musaf, so then they have more to make up after, after Musaf. Okay, then you have the repetition, which again is, uh, is this is, uh, you know, has many future minutes. And uh, and uh, the famous period in the Sana Okay, we've spoken about this period in the past. This is the one time a year of Shana and Kippur where it's customary to prostrate ourselves. It's on page 207, uh, sort of flat down on the floor. It's not flat, flat. You have your knees on the floor and your forehead on the floor and also your, your fingers. Um, if you're on a stone floor, then you have to put something in between, some towels, or whatever. If you're on a carpet, there's nothing to worry about. Um, right, that's because we don't prostrate ourselves outside of the temple. Priestly blessing at the end of that, and that's uh, yeah, and then the final signing is the chauffeur. That's basically it. Okay, then of course, we have in the afternoon, we have Tashlich, which again has tremendous symbolisms. Okay, we follow the Kahilim, where are we? Remembrances. Right. Tashlich, we do uh, the, 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 the primary custom the way it's brought in Shulchan Aruch, and this is also the Chabad custom, is to do it on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Some people do it uh, throughout the 10 days. If you Certainly, if you missed on Rosh Hashanah for whatever reason, you could do it throughout the 10 days. Uh, ideally, the, the ideal minhag is to go outside the city to a flowing river where there's fish. There's numerous reasons for it. Uh, one of the reasons is that it's symbolic, some, some, some symbolically casting away your sins, as the as as the pasuk says, the that Hashem casts our sins into the river when we do tshuva. Um, I think it goes without saying that that's not to be said literal. We don't actually throw our sins into the water. And even though it's interesting that in the sort of uh, 
other denominations, you know, in the non, non-observant denominations, yeah, it's become a big thing, and everyone goes to Tashlich, and they throw out the sins. But actually, if you look into the history of it, um, it's nothing to do with, the, the, certainly the primary sources for the Minhag don't mention anything about um, throwing out the sins. It's all about going to the river, coronation, fish, there's all sorts of various symbolisms. I mean, if you look at the page at the top of the top of page 291, which is paraphrasing what the Alter Rebbe writes in the Siddur, you know, it's about kindness and fish and mercy and an open eye. There's nothing about casting away sins. Of course, we do recite the Pasuk of Asashtach Anyway, that's the end of, of Tashlich. Again, we did a whole class on Tashlich um, in, in, in the past, which uh, perhaps I'll post the recording. Um, and that's it. That brings to a close the summary of the Machzer. I'm happy to take any questions. Amir Tashem, next week, if I recall correctly, the schedule is that next week we're going to talk about what uh, what we need to know about choosing a Lulav and Esrog, and the following week, no, next week is it is that is that is that class next Sunday? I forgot already. What's the schedule? Um, hold on. September fifth. That's next Sunday. Yeah. So September fifth is next Sunday. That's the day before Erev Rosh Hashanah. So then we'll have a class on choosing a Lulav and Esrog, and the following Sunday which is the Sunday of Esayi Shemei Tshuva, we'll hopefully do a similar review like we did today of the Yom Kippur Mahzor. Oh, thank you. Thank you.